In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here, as always, with my executive producer, co-host, and Mr. Clean himself, Mike Graham. Well, I'm going to take offense to this one this time, Ryan. I'm very offended. I am currently losing a little bit of, uh, there's a few hairs missing coming out up top. So I'm probably going to be looking like Mr. Clean in the next few years. So so then like Mr. Clean, you should just go Bix on your skull and shave it off and embrace it. Well, would I have to wear the earring? No, 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 no. That's that's (laughs) from a bygone era. Nobody would wear the earring anymore. And I'd also have to get like a bench press and like start working out and stuff. So I just I can't do this. (laughs) Well, it can't hurt, Mike. Uh, Exercise is a great form of self-care. I guess. All right. Well, it's good to talk to you, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, nothing to complain about today. Well, you may not have anything to complain about, but I certainly do today. Okay. Shoot. Shoot it. So for those of you who may not be in our Facebook chat group, you should definitely join it because on occasion, group members will find and post fascinating articles um, about mental health from lots of varied perspectives. Today was one of those days, Mike. Yes, it was, actually. Right off the bat, too, like first thing in the morning. Yeah, which is like the worst time of day for me to read something that gets me angry because I just don't have the time or the interest in reading or responding to it. So I saved my response for you here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because actually everyone was really like, I really need Ryan or I really (laughs) want Ryan to chime in on this. And the only thing you said was, uh, no, wait, what did you say? I said, said, I don't know where to start. Yeah, I don't know where to start, dot, dot, dot. And then you just never said anything else. Right. So, okay, what what was it that made you so angry? So, so for some background, the the person um, who shared the post, uh, I should say the post is from a Mr. Dr. Zwig, Z-W-I-G, who is a person who claims to be a psychologist. I want yeah, to say. I didn't know. What is he a doctor of? That we were debating that. Yeah, I believe psychology. Um, and you know, really, the the introductory line uh, to the article was the thing that I, I had put it down immediately because it, it in the blog post that is sort of this is taken from. He says, "When I'm not writing songs, recording, and touring, I work in the field of psychology and therapy, which really uh, makes psychology and therapy sound like a a, a neato side gig." Yeah, which yeah, is like, just all sorts of problems. It's with my that. thing. Yeah, it's what I do. <laughs> yeah, so that obviously that's a problem. But the summary that the person posted in the chat was um, this doctor's wig talking about how uh, things like depression, anxiety, OCD, phobias, delusions are real, but the notion that they are problems, that these problems are diseases, has not a shred of evidence behind it. So Mr. Zwig is uh, very opposed to the disease model of mental health, which is fine. We can talk about that. 
but he also has a bone to pick with the pharmacological um, industry, which is, is, is fair. And, and I should clarify that a lot of the statements he makes in this article, issues with the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, issues that he has with the sort of limited science. A lot of this stuff is, is accurate, but a lot of this stuff I just had a lot of problems with, Mike. And I, I, I assume you did too, but I know you have some personal feelings about the disease model yourself. Yeah, I did. And I did not dive nearly as deep into this. Maybe I was a little triggered by it. So first thing that happened with me this morning was I did that thing where I only read like the second half of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can kind of Too agree. Long, I know it didn't read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can. I see where this guy's coming from. And then basically everyone's like, what are you talking about? And then I was like, oh, wait, he's basically he's basically being a denier. Uh, from from my perspective, but it got me thinking. And as far as what I was replying about it, him talking about like the basic part of it was, it's not a disease. Uh, these are just symptoms and all this kind of stuff. And what I took away from it was, even as a person with mental health issues, I tend to like shy away from saying mental illness sure. and would prefer saying mental health issues. Mm -hmm. uh, I've even, like I said in the post today, I've even said the word disorders on here, but you can hear me in episodes a couple of times kind of get uncomfortable if I have to say disorder too many times. It's like, yeah, uh, even for me, it's like uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that that stuff's true. It just makes me uncomfortable to think about too much. So yeah, it was, uh, ugh, yeah, it definitely made me grip my teeth a little bit, especially when I went and read the comments. And I, I, there was a lot of people, you know, definitely backlash against what he had to say. But there were a lot of people, too, that were just waiting for someone in a position of authority to tell them they can continue writing this stuff off. And that's what was sad to me. Sure. So I'll give you an example of one of the things I had a real big problem with with Dr. Zwig. So I'll just read this excerpt real quick. Dr. Zwig says, what I've discovered is that what people call mental illness is actually a rational process that can be worked with and transformed. Even so-called crazy people, he puts crazy in quotes, have such a process. Mm. So far, this is fine, as far as I'm concerned. He goes on and says, the problem is that psychologists don't know how to work with them by thinking contextually in a way that understands extreme behavior as a reaction to the patient's environment, including over generations. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, is he so every psychologist? Well, he, he he generalizes very nicely there. So all I have to say is that if a psychologist doesn't know, quote unquote, how to work with people by thinking contextually in a way that understands extreme behavior as a reaction to the patient's environment, including over generations, then they're not a psychologist. They haven't been to school. That's that's literally what we're doing. We're trying to understand people's behavior, people's thoughts, people's feelings, and appropriately within the context of their um, home, social uh, work environments. So I, I can't believe a fellow psychologist, if that's what he is, would, would make a statement like that. Obviously, he has a problem, a lot, I should say, a lot of problems with the field at large, which is fine. Maybe that's why he's more of a musician now. But <laughs> I just feel like statements like that are, are very damaging. He looks like he looks like Tom Waits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he clearly wants to be. But but yeah, I just think statements like that are really damaging for people because 
okay, so he has a problem with the fact that it, we're calling it a disease. But think about how you define disease. Now, obviously, it has a lot of negative connotations. But for me, in the mental health context, it's really just talking about, you know, a disorder or or of like structure or function in a person. And I don't think we can question the fact that things like depression, anxiety are absolutely a disorder of uh, a functioning brain, right? That's not how your brain is supposed to work. Right. So we take we take all these symptoms that look like depression and we call them a mental illness or a mental disorder, a mental disease. I don't know that we have to have such specific problems with the disease model, especially when now as, as one of the our Christine, our fellow podcaster and uh, member of our chat group pointed out that we have plenty of scientific evidence now to point to with these issues. You know, you can do brain scans, all that kind of right, stuff. Yeah, I was going to so. say, like, a layman's, from what I read, she, yeah, brain scans can tell the difference. But I was just like, you know, neato science figured it out. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, so suffice it to say, I have problems with people like Dr. Zwig and anyone who sort of wants to push back against identifying, This you know, guy's just looking for attention. Ways. Yeah. And I mean, he gives himself a really glorifying story about how he cured one of his patients bipolar disorder. Um, uh, which, what? Oh, yeah. So so if I don't know if you read the article that was linked to in the Facebook post, but he essentially yeah. claims that by like talking his patient through this becoming a gorilla exercise um, that her bipolar disorder just disappeared. So congratulations, Dr. Zwig. I yes, I believe that happened. Yeah. Uh, OK, well. That's about as angry as you're going to hear me get when it comes to mental health. All right. All right. So I think we need to spark a little bit of joy into you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And so we can get you feeling better. So let's move on. And we're going to be talking about tidying up with Marie Kondo. Let's do it. Today, we are covering the Netflix series Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo, a Japanese organizing consultant and author, has taken the world by storm. Named one of Time's most influential people in 2015, Marie wrote the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which has been a bestseller in Japan and Europe as well as being published in the United States. Marie teaches the KonMari method of organizing, a method of gathering all belongings together by category and lumping them in a pile to get a full view of what you really have. She does not emphasize throwing items away. Instead, she encourages to keep that which sparks joy in your life and to get rid of the things that do not. Now, with Marie in the United States going to family homes that are bogged down by clutter, we start to connect with the families that she is helping. We might find ourselves understanding where their clutter came from and why it's so hard to let go. What's framed as a series to simply show people how to tidy up ends up being a documentation of the families, their homes, their lives, and their motivation to hold on. Well, that was an excellent summary, Mike. Personally. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, because I mean, let's let's be honest, right? As we said, this is a worldwide phenomenon. That well, hold is on, the Ryan. What? I, I I also had to say one more thing, and that was a uh, boom shakalaka. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and boom. Yes, the life changing magic of tidying up. Did you feel that, that your life was changed while you watched this, Mike? I well, I felt bad about myself. <laughs> Well, I, that, if, if you asked her, that's probably where this process starts. 
you yeah. know, when they get everyone to put all their clothes out on the bed. I think that's that's exactly what she's looking for, right? Is to get everyone to look at it and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I have this many clothes or this many possessions. Exactly. No, even like currently right now, I'm in my basement where I do our podcast from. And this is kind of the area where I stack boxes and stuff. And so I'm sitting down here looking like I need to tidy all of <laughs> the tidying must start. Well, yeah, and that, so that's this. I think the sensation that people have when they watch this show or read her book, which is that, oh, my gosh, I have at least as much stuff as the people on these episodes like I need to tidy up. Oh, absolutely. And you're wondering, like, is it too much? The first couple they show in the first episode, I thought, did they really need her? Because I didn't seem like they were that. I mean, their garage was pretty crazy. But besides that, I thought they're just, you know, they have a messy house. They got kids, you know, do they need like a professional that I don't know. So I, I completely agree that when you first see a lot of these houses, for the most part, across the whatever it is, eight or 10 episodes, you kind of look at them, go through the house and it doesn't seem that bad. There's nothing that jumps out that's like, oh, my God. I mean, I will say the one couple that we'll talk about that was like, obviously, there's some sort of emotional or mental blocks happening for why they have so much stuff. But, you know, at least for that first episode, um, and what were their names? Uh, Rachel. Rachel. It's the friends. It's the friend yeah, of family. Of course, the friend family. So I was immediately pretty concerned about their relationship and the the sort of clutter in their house seemed to, in some ways, be connected a lot to the relationship and tension stuff that was going on. I don't know if you picked up on that, but Oh no, yeah, I did definitely. There was a lot of like passive aggressive arguing and I think anytime you see that in a relationship, or anytime I see that in a relationship as when I do couples therapy, it's like, okay, there are unsaid problems here. Well, that's kind of what the show was pointing out yes. and that's kind of the way I wrote the synopsis the way I did was because this thing where she's coming in to show people how to clean up their houses and, you know, to respect their homes really was just highlighting for these people like things that were sort of broken in their lives. And she did that with the message. So I don't I don't know if that's good or bad. But, yeah, the friend family, there was definitely some things going on there. Yeah. And we talked about this before in the upfront. You know, I think there's some natural judgments that people can form when they watch people go through this process. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe they have so many clothes or they have so many Christmas ornaments or why, why have, why is their garage so messy? And, but I think the reality is, as, as you were saying that even the friend family, like that's a pretty typical American house. Yeah. I didn't, except for the garage. It, yeah, I did. But even that, I like to, I know plenty of garages that look like that. I turned so, to my wife and I was like, our, my garage looks way better than that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like the rest of the house, it was like, that's our house, you know, but they right. got two kids. We have two kids. So like I, I like felt that family. Sure. So then it begs the question, like, what is our connection to stuff? Like, why does it accumulate? What does it say about us when it does accumulate? Why do we have such a hard time getting rid of things? So that as as the therapist in me was the part that I was most interested in when people had emotional uh, connections or emotional difficulty letting go of things that didn't spark joy anymore for them for one reason or another. Right. What did you think about the spark joy aspect of it? Well, I think it's sort of like a nice catchphrase, basically. You know, there's a lot of different ways of saying that. And I think the way that she says it is, let's say it's very relatable. So 
you can pick up a shirt and I, at least I can, I can pick up a shirt and say, does this spark joy? And I might, I might change that definition for myself in my head where it's like, um, would I care if I accidentally found this in the garbage or, or would I just leave it there? You know what I mean? Right. And so it's this sort of, if it went missing, would I notice? Exactly. That's another good way of, of putting it. And I think there's a lot of ways that you can frame this process that she has people go through. But what it really illustrated for me is that, you know, we don't notice the gradual accumulation of our stuff in the same way that we don't necessarily notice the gradual, let's say, decline in our uh, relationship or the gradual decline in the communication of our relationship, the gradual yeah. decline in our, let's say, our positive versus negative thoughts about ourselves. Yeah, it, it, I think, uh, I mean, just as far as the episodes that we were watching just right out of the bat, that was really highlighted in the very first episode, like yep. the decline of a relationship versus uh, accumulation of things. And for them, it wasn't even just accumulation. It was just uh, like messiness, too. So, I mean, they definitely accumulated some things. I mean, the yeah, but also being unorganized. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, the 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 problems that I'm identifying as a therapist when I watch a couple or a family like this is, okay, you know, what, what was going on? Cause presumably they volunteered to be on this show. Right. So yeah. it's, it's not just the mess. Like obviously they're identifying possible problems or obstacles within the relationship that make them see that, okay, you know what, we would benefit from this. And it's actually a question that I ask in, in my evaluations as before I start therapy with somebody is what happened or what was your moment where you said, you know what, I should get help or, you know what, we need help with this. Um, yeah. I need to start working on this problem. I can't ignore this anymore. You know, so that I think is a very sort of physical representation with this show is that in different ways, each of the people represented in the episodes got to a point that they were not happy with. Now, we as viewers can see that and say, oh, like this house or this apartment wasn't that bad. Why are they on this show? But then as you talk to them more and more, it becomes about something deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And for the friend family, it was their, their marriage was getting on the rocks over the stress of the kids and stuff piling up and the dad's working 60 hours a week yep. and the mom is overwhelmed at home to the point where there's certain things that like she just won't do. So they're hiring a laundry person out and they've gotten to this, the point where there's nowhere else to turn. They call in Marie Kondo. Yeah. Much in the way you would call in a doctor or a therapist to say, I don't know how things got this bad, but here I am. How, how do I get better? And uh, there were a lot of things that Marie did that I really liked in terms of helping people identify, you know, what they wanted to change and why they wanted to change it. One of my favorite things that she did was, I think everyone felt a little uncomfortable when she greeted the house, but. Oh, no, I thought that was awesome. Well, so it's it's like cute and funny. And I, I think, thought it was like, ah, you know, uh, she told him to like, thank your house for being yeah. at home. And it was sure. like, you know what? Thank you, house. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let me change that statement. I thought that, that part was a little weird. Okay. But, I, but fine. Like, I can, you know, whatever. That's fine. But the part, the next part that she had people like close their eyes and visualize what they wanted their house to be or what meaning they wanted their house to hold. Um, I loved that question um, hmm. because that also is very similar to something that I do in my evaluations, which is that 
I ask people to sort of identify what their lives or what their day or what their behavior will look like that will tell them that they don't need to be in therapy anymore or that they're ready to, to uh, step down from once a week, for example. So it's being able to look into your future and have a very clear picture of what you want things to be and how you want things to feel. So Marie doing that with the house, I think helps people activate some of that energy of, I know what I want my house to look like. I know what I want my house to feel like. Okay, let's get started. Yeah. I had some some real specific stuff. So we we uh we decided to call this hoarding in We did. With tidying up with Marie. And I was watching it and obviously most people have seen some episodes of hoarding this show, which is like this grossly extreme, like to the absolute extremes of what hoarding is. Uh, so did we see any like real examples of hoarding? So as let's say defined in the DSM, as we sort of started the show by uh, identifying some of the problems with it, according to Mr. Zwig, <laughs> there are some what we call like diagnostic features that would we would look for to actually diagnose somebody with a hoarding disorder. One of the biggest ones and that why I would say we don't see anyone specifically reaching this level is that it it has to kind of, I'd say, negatively affect the person to the extent that there's some sort of impairment, whether that be Im- impairing their ability to take care of themselves. So if you ever remember the show Hoarders, which I don't even know if it's still on. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, I You're meant like, the show Hoarders. Yeah, exactly. So I remember watching that show and you would see people who had stuff like, and even garbage, like in their bathroom and their shower and their bath were unusable. So that's obviously going to affect their hygiene. You know, right. the, their ability to keep food for more than a day was affected. Yeah. So now they're eating really poorly. There was one that I saw and there was a guy and he he had a place where he could lay and that was it yeah and like and then roll over and go to the restroom like right next yeah so that's hoarding (laughs) so that's hoarding and i would say the closest example that we see of this is actually in the i want to say it's the second episode is it the akiyamas is it yeah yeah that is the second episode yep yeah it's uh wendy and ron Yes, Wendy and Ron Akiyama. And, and you can see from the sort of opening shots of the episode, the, the, the literal piles of stuff. And that's not even getting into when um, Wendy brings all her clothes out and even acknowledges that she does. She's a retail therapy, quote unquote, retail therapy person. Yeah, um, yeah I wrote when, that down. I was like, oh, yeah. we're going to ask Ryan about that one. Yeah, because she acknowledges when she's stressed that she she shops basically to feel her better, to help her feel better. And actually even acknowledged that she does it to kind of get back at Ron, which I was like, oh, warning flag there. <laughs> but yeah, so their their house to me represented the closest that we got to hoarding. Right. Because even they, their son comes through. So it's sort of framed as like this couple who are going to be empty nesters because their youngest son like, is finally moving out. Right. And they're looking to retire. Yeah. And he had some very clear concerns about their, not necessarily their safety, but just like, this is not good. Yeah, we need them to be comfortable. Absolutely. So it's trending in this dangerous direction. So, you know, given a couple more months or years of this, it might head that way. And it's, it's funny because, um, and I didn't share this with you up top, but I, I do have, I should say, had a relative who, without a doubt, was a hoarder. My, she's a great aunt, I guess, uh, my father's aunt on his side. 
And when you went to her house, and this happened mostly in her old age, you know, it'd be like stacks of newspapers and just all sorts of things that if you asked her, she might have a reason for why she keeps it, but there's no actual reason for why it's there, why it's where it is, all that kind of stuff. So, so this is something that, that, you know, does affect people. Yeah. And it is a sign, I should say, it's sort of fault because it falls under the sort of anxiety umbrella of anxiety disorders. It's absolutely a sign of anxiety. Definitely. And, and that's why I was thinking that we could use this to look at it because we can see uh, in most of these episodes that even though these people are just, you know, looking to like declutter, a lot of times they have an issue with letting go of some of the items. Yeah, either, uh, and, and yeah. anxiety about getting rid of things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like one of the first questions a lot of people ask, like, they're asking like, oh, do I have to throw it away? And she's always explaining, trying, that's what, when the spark of joy thing comes in and she's trying yeah. to explain it's not throwing away, you know. Yeah, so the, absolutely. Uh, they all have their sort of idiosyncrasies about like what's difficult about the, each individual for this process. For some people, it was clothes. For some people, it was like collectibles. For the Akiyamas, they had a whole floor or a whole room of Christmas decorations, which yeah. I thought was so interesting as something that I mean, I thought it was to awesome. Collect. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love Christmas decorations too, but I don't have a room of them. I have like three plastic tubs. Yeah, yeah. Um, she she had three plastic tubs of Nutcracker dolls. Of only Nutcracker dolls. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I loved her. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's why you know I don't think they were suffering from any impairment. But their anxiety, without a doubt, was that all their kids were leaving or had left. Yep. Um, so now they're left with all of this stuff in this, this huge stuff. house. Yeah. And, you know, do they want to get rid of it? Do they want to? Are they going to move? Are they going to downsize? And I think for people who are sort of entering in that to that transitional phase in life, it can be really scary and really anxiety inducing. Yeah. And there was a particular scene in uh, in Wendy and Ron's episode. And she's going through her clothes. They don't show it, but they do kind of give you a clip of what probably, and I'm just assuming, but what I think was happening behind the scenes, she was kind of picking out clothes and you could tell she was having a tough time getting rid of them. Oh, yeah. Like she was, I like this one. I like this one. And, and you, and I'm thinking she can't let go of any of this stuff. Yeah. But they, she eventually did. But that was also the moment where she mentioned that and self-admitted that she does retail therapy. And that's why I was like, Ryan, what does that mean? <laughs> what is retail therapy? Yeah. So similarly to hoarding, it's it's an anxiety response. And, and I think different people acknowledged this throughout this series that when things were feeling out of control in their lives, whether that be their relationship or kids or their jobs or um, their their life transition stuff, when those things were feeling out of control, the way that people uh, cope in a lot of ways is by finding other areas of their life in which they can assert control. So retail therapy is, well, my life's feeling out of control, but here's something I can control. I can control how much money I spend, what I spend it on, pick things that I like, keep them, know exactly where I want to put them, then be satisfied by that transaction. I mean, so it's, it's this very clear process that doesn't have any uncertainty or, or complicated feelings. It's just something that feels good. 
sounds a lot like a lot of other different controls like eating or mm -hmm. drug use, you know. Absolutely. Very similar. Just compare. It's just this thing you can do to make you, you feel better. And I'm sure someone that goes and swipes a card gets that little bit of dopamine rush or, or you know what I mean? And yeah, and no question. Gives them that rush that makes them feel better. So they keep doing it. And I'm sure there's a bit of addiction to it as well. Yes, because it's this cycle that's rewarded, you know, until it's not. So it's like people accumulate credit card debt or um, like Wendy, they accumulate clothes to the point of having, I think she had every one of her children's closets were then filled by yeah. her clothes. Yeah, 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 like multiple walk-in closets. Yeah. And like, and the, the thing about that is, you know, much like negative thoughts, that accumulation isn't noticeable until we force ourselves to notice it. So then with her particularly, starting with like anxiety, going into using the retail therapy as a control, can that then turn into, obviously she's beginning to become hoarding these things. Mm -hmm. Can that keep growing into what you were saying to like full-blown, like an impeding lifestyle like situation? Yeah, I absolutely think it can, um, especially for people like my great aunt who, you know, was retired you know, even carried on her hoarding behavior after moving into a retirement home, like still just had stuff upon stuff upon stuff, um, even though she had to downsize a lot of her stuff when she moved there. I mean, you just, I mean, I, I almost understand it because you're like yeah. kind of clinging to something that makes you feel home almost. Yeah, so exactly. So, and and actually this was illustrated really well in another episode. There was a, oh man, I forget their names, but there were two writers, two guys, a gay couple, and everything was easy up until the point where one of the guys had to start getting rid of his papers. And in this stack of papers, he had, you know, notes from classes and first things that he wrote in college. And he had real emotional connection to him, to them. And then, you know, that you sort of asked the question, what do these items either remind these people of or what comfort do they give to these people. And in a lot of ways, the, the, the papers one, uh, um, and maybe you had something that you could relate to amongst all the different categories of stuff. Um, for me, it's papers without a question. I keep so many papers. I still have a folder of like all the creative writing I did in like senior year of high school. And every time I look at it, I'm like, why do I still have this? And then I read it and I'm like, oh man, what a good poem. And then I keep it again. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what I think I'm going to do with it, but it feels good. I don't know if I would say it sparks joy, but it's like I feel kind of good every time I see it. So yeah. maybe it does spark joy. I don't know. But but then I have plenty of examples where it's like whether it's like keeping receipts or um, bills or mail. And I'm just like, I don't know. I might need this random piece of mail. I'm going to leave it right here until I have to decide. <laughs> See, okay, so I really am like a storm through the house and throw it all away guy. However, I do have that thing, and that's where I'm sitting now. I have, I couldn't tell you how many cords that connect to different things. <laughs> sure. There, I mean, there's probably 600 cords sitting around me right now. And like even the other night, my sister came over here to use one of my microphones, I could not find one that worked, one of the cords to plug it in. And she was like, 
why don't you just throw them away? And I was like, <laughs> because they look cool in the pile. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I get it. Yeah. So and so if, if I had to sort of self-analyze, my anxiety is what if I need this thing later? And I can't think of one example in which it was like, oh, thank God I saved this random piece of mail from three <laughs> years ago. I don't think that's ever happened. Um, and yet I still have trash bags that absolutely have like random piles of paper that I cleaned out of my car that I didn't throw away because I thought, well, I might need to go through this pile of papers later. Oh, so it's it, no, I, I, it, trust me, I, I'm I'm perfectly comfortable acknowledging my own faults. And this is one of them. My wife will agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to see your house someday. Well, it's it's in the basement. It's like hidden away. OK, yeah, that's where my stuff. I, I yeah. had all my weird stuff in the basement, too. Yeah, but. You know, it's there and and every so often I clean out my car, but I probably don't throw the trash bag away. I'm just like, well, there, there's probably something important in here. Otherwise, I just would have thrown it in the garbage in the first place. I couldn't tell you why. But yeah, so we, we're acknowledging this anxiety. I think it's very real for the majority of characters that Marie, characters, the majority of real life people that Marie works with. Yeah, it is. One of them that really struck me the hardest was Margie in episode four. Her anxieties, yeah. I believe, were ground into something that wasn't nearly as abstract. Nope. They were something, you know, all of us can easily see from a distance and relate to without having to try to think about it too much. And that was the fact that she, her husband passed away. Yeah. She she had three children with her husband who she clearly loved. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she said he was bigger than life as well as being a really big guy, too which was a funny part of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Big shoes, big shirts. Yeah. yeah. And so Marie comes along and she helps her like clean out his clothes. Yep. And so we're talking about anxieties and being attached to to items and, and hoarding and everything. Now, I don't think this lines up with hoarding at all, but I can't imagine the anxiety of getting rid of those clothes. Yeah, getting rid of, of the belongings or clothing that someone that you loved has passed away. Yeah, or even how you would start that process. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because I think people put a lot of representation into, well, if I throw these clothes away, does that mean X? You know, and a, a question I have my patients ask myself all the time is, if you're trying to figure out why something is blocking you, is to ask yourself this question. What does it say about me that blank? So in the case of Margie, I would ask Margie, well, Margie, what would it say about you if you threw away all of your husband's old clothes? And we could presume that she might say that she doesn't care about him anymore or that she's forgetting him or that she doesn't want him to be a part of her life anymore, that there would be all these sort of implied negative judgments because she's parting with his stuff. And that's where we would work on, okay, this is the way you feel about yourself. How do you want to feel about yourself? Presumably, she would want to feel that she can let go of her husband's belongings without letting go of her husband. And I think that's what Maria helps her do. She does. Yeah. That was a really sad one. And I, yeah, I, I felt really bad for her. But it was also nice to see her move through that because you could tell mm -hmm. even her kids were, were really pulling for her to get there. And that was definitely the one where I was like, she really needs Marie here to help her. Which makes me wonder, in all of this happening, and we're talking about all these people and these different anxieties, uh, you know, you got Wendy and Ron, who are the hoarders of the group, and everyone else. 
What about Marie? Hmm. So we don't see a lot of Marie, like her personal life. We get little clips of her with her kids and she acknowledges her own faults, I think, at times. And everyone just kind of rolls their eyes like, "Okay, Marie, sure, you have a dirty kitchen. (laughs) But it's interesting when you read the reactions of people on the Internet to this show. You know, it's funny. It's funny to see the, the stuff that people have a problem with with her approach. There's a huge reaction to Marie's feelings about books and throwing away books. Which is oh. also something I, I can relate to. We, we have a lot of books in our house. Yeah, people are like, why would you throw away books? Right, right. Keep them, put them, you know, make a library. Right, which is great. But I think to her point, and, and looking at it from a therapist's point of view, most of those books, and I can even say this about most of the books in my own house, am I ever going to read them again? Probably not. I can say that with a, with a fair amount of certainty. I can't think of a book that, let's say I've thrown away or donated that I've been, Oh man, I really wanted to read that again. I can't believe it's gone like that. That just scenario feels completely foreign to me. So to that extent, I'm okay with, with her perspective. I know uh, bibliophiles, lovers of books and lovers of reading are sort of abhorred by the idea that, um, that we should throw books away. You know, I think most people are comfortable with donating them, but even then it's like books that are old or books that are in bad condition, like lobby libraries and things are not going to take them. Okay, last thing here. Do you think that Marie in this show um, is genuine in that she actually helped these people? So I would say yes. Um, Marie, I wouldn't go as far to say that she's a good therapist, but you know, in the the sort of mental health realm, we have therapists and we have coaches, and coaches um, absolutely serve a purpose. They help people follow a prescribed set of tasks that at the end of those tasks, they are in, in a better place, let's say, to make progress. And Marie absolutely does that by helping people remove the clutter from their homes. She enables them to, to sort of be free to make something better of their lives, you know, and, and it's hard for us to say, like, did all these stories end with really happy endings? You know, do the friend family just kind of fall back into bickering and, and sarcasm and, and passive aggressive communication? They might. Um, did they rehire the laundry person? Sure, Right, right. Fair question. <laughs> That's what right? I was worried about. And, and certainly that is my fear as well. Like, you know, after Marie leaves, like I kind of want like a one year check in. Hey, did you keep everything organized and clean? Or did you fall back on these bad habits? Because these are habits. Like, they're not just things that you can go in and clean and, oh, I'm never going to keep stuff ever again. Some people said things like that, but that doesn't mean that these habits are just going to go away because they're built into our anxiety. Right, right. And they did do a few follow-ups that they released, uh, like three or four follow-ups there. But we do have to take a break, and we're going to do that right now. We'll be right back. You are listening to Pop Psych 101, a show discussing mental health and popular culture through two perspectives, a patient and a therapist. We explore the accuracies of how mental illness is portrayed in movies, books, and television, for better or worse. And we are back. All right, if you haven't listened to the show before, we are about to do our segment, Overanalyzing with Ryan. Sometimes he watches something, reads something, he just looks way too deep into it, to the point where he is overanalyzing. Do you 
get the feeling that there's a hidden, deeper meaning in your favorite movies, books, and TV shows? Look no further. Therapist Brian Engelstad goes so deep that what he brings back may not exist at all. This is Overanalyzing with Ryan. Well, thank you for that, Mike. So as a therapist, one of the things that I love to use in my work are metaphors, because I think it's sometimes easier for us to look at why we're struggling or why change is difficult or why change is possible through the use of metaphor. So why I loved life-changing magic of tidying up with Marie Kondo is because there is this metaphor about the sort of cleanliness of your home representing a certain amount of the cleanliness of your, whether you want to call it health or soul or mental health or relationship, you know, basically like a messy home equals a messy life or a messy mindset or a messy whatever. Okay. So I'm trying to follow. Well, I wanted to carry that uh, metaphor to its furthest conclusion, which is that your house or your home, wherever you live, represents your mind or your mental health or your your actual brain no not your brain as much as let's say like the shape of your brain no 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 you're you're taking this too literally we're in metaphor land which is like like, the windows of your eyeballs yeah obviously thank you (laughs) um yes the windows are the eyes to the soul or the eyes to the roof um no so it's like let me give you an example and we'll build off of this Let's say your uh, bedroom, and a lot of these are going to be like very like, duh, of course that is, but but I'm going to take it to an extreme level, right? Because we're overanalyzing. So like your bedroom and the cleanliness of your bedroom is how much you prioritize sleep. And using myself as an example. So you're, you're, what you're going to do is you're going to go through the rooms of the house. And if that's clean, then that means it's something else. It represents something in in your life or in or your priorities. Me, if it's tidy, sure. If it's tidy, then it represents your your tidiness of mental health or your tidiness of um, self care. Let's say okay. in different, different aspects. So, um, can we turn this then? And when we're done with overanalyzing, can we go straight into unpopular opinions with Mike <laughs> and start debating? Uh, if you want. <laughs> okay, no, no, go, keep going, sorry. So, uh, as I was saying, uh, your your bed, your bedroom represents how much you prioritize sleep. So, uh, Mike, I'll need to ask you a question. Do you make your bed every day? No. Okay, why not? Because I'm just gonna mess it up when I get back in bed at night. Okay, and do you generally get a good night's sleep? Me? Yeah. Oh, God, no. Okay, so... As a, a person, Never. I would challenge you to prioritize the, the, the setup and care of your bedroom because the amount of, let's say, attention or investment we put into our bedroom can have a large impact on our quality of sleep. So do you see what I'm doing here? I get it, but you know as well as I know that my sleep, if that effect of my sleep is not going to making my bed is not going to make a big difference. Okay, but you just acknowledge that you don't maybe put a lot of investment into your bedroom. So you don't know for sure how much difference it would make, for example, if you experimented with uh, how much light is in your room, if it's completely blacked out or not, how much sound you're exposed to, how, let's say, comfortable the bed itself is. Um, Yeah, our bed's nice. 
Okay. So that's good. And then the sort of attention to uh, things like keeping it clean, you know, because I, I know I know for me, when I get back into my bedroom after a long day, if my clothes are all over the floor or all over the bed, yeah. you know, that's one more thing that's going to activate my anxiety before I'm trying to rest, which is like the worst thing that your brain can experience. So taking these things to the logical conclusion when you take care of your bedroom, your bedroom will take care of you. Now, yes, am I oversimplifying these things? And and obviously there are a lot of more complicating factors that affect things like sleep quality. Of course. But this is overanalyzing with Ryan. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Well, okay, I got one for you. Please. If we want to overanalyze, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you I'm gonna throw you a log and I'm gonna send you down the bathroom. Well, I am so glad that you sent me there. What, what's going on in the bathroom? I would argue, and feel free to disagree with me. We got clean bathrooms. Is. Our bathrooms okay. are pretty clean. And most I am of the so, time. so glad to hear that, Mike, because in cleaning the house, do you ever forget to flush the toilet? I don't know if I can say this. We, we are. <laughs> Brianna, please forgive me. <laughs> we are a. Um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just assumed you were going to say no and I'd be able to move we on quickly. We are a yellow, let it mellow family. Okay, well, and then that, as it's a saying, is probably more common than I would could, I would think. But my point being is that... We don't want to waste water, Ryan. No, no, you're absolutely right. But my point is, is that like the brain or, or like our, our, let's say, our self-thoughts, we rarely forget to flush the toilet. But, but we often don't recognize or don't stop to think about the shitty thoughts that we're having <laughs> about ourselves. And, you we know, don't flush, we don't flush those shitty thoughts out. Exactly right. So what I'm saying here is that much like if you went into your bathroom and noticed something in the toilet that you forgot to flush or something that shouldn't be there, you would immediately flush because you would look at what's in the toilet and you would say, that's not supposed to be here. We need to do the same thing with our negative thoughts, especially about ourselves, because when people are depressed or anxious, they have irrational thoughts about themselves. And if we recognize those thoughts more immediately as those thoughts don't belong here and flushed mentally, we would be much better off. Okay. I got one more for you because we have time for one more overanalyzing of the room. Okay. Okay. Broom? We're going to. Oh, 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 of the room. Sorry. Go ahead. I thought you were giving me broom. <laughs> no, just, yeah. One utensil. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I'm going to take it outside. Can I go outside of the house? Uh, you know what? I, I'm as a seasoned uh, improviser, I'll say yes. Yes, I Okay. Am. The lawn. Okay, this so one, I want this one because I'm the lawn guy sure, around here. Sure. And and I can tell you, depending on how bad my mental health is, depends on what my lawn looks like. Okay. So I'm gonna use you as an example because Mike, I one if there's one thing I know about you, it's that you take a lot of pride in your appearance. Well, I mean, I'm very good looking. Exactly. So uh, much like your lawn, you would be unlikely to let your appearance suffer for too long. Your physical appearance. Uh, correct. Yes. I, I would try not to. Right. So um, I, would, I would hazard a guess, and obviously not everyone has yards, but let's say the external part of your house or apartment, whatever you, want, whatever you live in, 
represents in some ways, I would say, your external appearance. And when we let things start to uh, fall apart or go uncared for, much in the way we neglect things like, I don't know, flossing or like uh, getting haircuts, maybe people, like people actually floss. That's just like a. But like, like but yeah, well, like, first of all, yes, they do. But like, <laughs> so let me give you an I mean, example. That's just like the, the, the floss companies. Do you watch the outside of your windows of the your floss house? floss lobbyists. Ryan, the floss lobbyist. <laughs> like, do you wash the outside of the windows of your home? Do you have power wash the siding? No. All these sorts of things. No. No. Now, you know, year to year, this may not make a difference. But much like in Marie Kondo, all of a sudden, if you decided to randomly do a power wash, you would be surprised at how much dirt and grime would come off. Mm, you're right. You know, And if you, you know what? My driveway uh, needs totally. one. Same thing. need a power wash. Yeah, it's amazing what a power washer can do. It takes away years of, of buildup. And, you know, I'll give a personal example because this is something that happened to my outside of my house recently. For a long time, our gutters leaked. So when it rained, um, the rain wouldn't uh, come down the gutter and then go down, follow the gutter down the side of the house. It would just sort of fall in between the gutter and the house. And for a while, we just, you know what? Uh, I, I don't think this actually makes a difference. We'll just sort of let it go. And then it went and it went and it went. And all of a sudden we had a big rainstorm and, and windstorm and the gutters actually started to pull away from the house so much so that it damaged some of the siding. So that was a problem that was would have been a simple fix. But because we decided to let it go uncared for much in the way people go and, and don't care about their, let's say, hygiene or their external mm -hmm. appearance, um, it became a more significant problem and a more expensive problem. Yeah, but I do have an issue with the power washing of my driveway, Ryan. Okay. A big one, and I, I don't think I can. Why? Because if we power wash the driveway, well, then we just wasted all the water that we saved from- Is, is there a water emergency in Kansas City that I'm that not aware of? we saved from letting it, <laughs> from letting it mellow. We left well, that water mellow, so, so and then, I'm going to spray it so out the, the power So the logical washer. conclusion is to take the mellow yellow water out of the toilet, put it in your power washer, and then use that to spray your driveway clean. It's going to be the worst. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, guys, we have to wrap this up. If you haven't listened before, every week we do our ratings. Ryan rates on a scale of one to five for accuracy. And then I rate on a scale of one to five stars for the awesomeness of what we're covering that week. Ryan, what is your one to five scale this week? Um, so I'm going to do one to five sparks of joy because oh, I, of course. I, because in, in honor of Marie Kondo and, you know, Mike, it's, it's rare that we talk about actual real people. So I, I, I think it's hard for me to rate this anything but a five. It is an she accurate representation of people coping with anxiety in different forms right and, but go ahead gotta think about what we titled the show so is it an accurate representation of hoarding um no we have already acknowledged in the show that there are no fully diagnosable hoarders within these episodes and i'm actually happy for that because it makes hoarding you know, something that is, that can be gradual, that can be on a spectrum, that people don't just become hoarders overnight. There's this buildup of anxiety and buildup of loss that can happen for people that can eventually lead to these more serious problems. So does it accurately represent hoarding? 
itself? No, but it accurately absolutely represents the earliest stages of hoarding. So I'm sticking with the five. All right. All right. I can handle that. Okay. So I have to look at this from the one to five stars for awesomeness. And I have to go with a two. Oh, it just made me feel bad about myself. <laughs> That's about it. I just felt like I needed to clean my house. Well, you, uh, you and people... millions of other people. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you read about how um, all the like libraries and Goodwills have seen this crazy increase in donations since this show came out. Well, I mean, that's good for them, but no, you, you know, I get, I get why people like the show. It's just not an up my alley show. I did like Marie Kondo, and I really, really, really liked Wendy and Ron in episode two. But like overall, it's just not my style, so that's why it gets a two for me. So. All right, guys, we do have to get out of here for the week, though. As always, I need to thank Kevin McLeod for the music that we use on the show. It is royalty-free. If you want to use royalty-free music, you can go find him at incompetech.com. And, Ryan, thank you for talking with me every week. Thank you, sir. Another fun episode. Okay, so even though there wasn't any strict hoarding in tidying up with Marie Kondo... There were a lot of important warning signs about anxiety and people's relationships to their belongings that I want to emphasize as we wrap up today's episode. First of all, accumulation of stuff often happens over long periods of time, just as accumulation of other anxious or depressive symptoms can go unnoticed over time. Because of this, it's important to have regular check-ins, both from a cleanliness of home perspective, as well as a cleanliness of mind one. As I've said before, Just as our homes benefit from spring cleaning, our mental health similarly benefits from a yearly evaluation. As we see in various episodes of the show, accumulating belongings can also be a sign of some other unaddressed emotional issues. Whether that is relationship stress, empty nest or retirement, transition struggles, or even going through the grieving process. Recognizing this behavior as a warning sign can be a good way to catch things we aren't addressing. Finally, if you are a loved one of someone exhibiting these behaviors, there's help for them too. Whether through therapy or an organizational coach like Marie, getting a third party involved can often help people see their homes and their lives from a new perspective. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you as always to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at PopPsych101. We are specifically on YouTube for our fans who may be hard of hearing. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Poppsych 101 is not only a podcast, but also a radio show. You can find us on the real-life radio station on Dash Radio. If Dash Radio is not installed on your vehicle, you can download their app on Android or iOS. For the podcast, we are on all major distribution channels, so please rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.